It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This special Monday episode of Live Mike. Uh, it's episode number 261 if you're following along at home, which I'm, of course you are. Of course you absolutely are. Hey, listen, we're going to have some fun today. We are going to uh, cover a good deal of history. We're going to look back over the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., spend some time learning some lessons. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking also at the life of his father, Dr. Martin Luther King Sr., or rather the Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. I, uh, last year, after a visit to the uh, African American History Museum in Washington, D.C., uh, which today, unfortunately, is uh, is all closed down as the National Mall is almost entirely locked down in anticipation of the inauguration of this Wednesday, I I couldn't help but be absolutely taken and struck by all of the uh, all the stories that were told, all the information contained, and all of the expert uh, knowledge that was on display in the African African American History Museum in Washington D.C. And I'd go as far as to say this: it may be one of the most informative and comprehensive museums in all of Washington D.C. Next time you're back there, if you have the opportunity to uh, spend, honestly, you'll need the whole day. Uh, but if you have a few hours, at the very least, uh, do what you can to visit the African American History Museum. While I was there, it was uh, it was just before a little baby Piper came around, uh, and my wife and I, you know, because the doctor says, "Oh, uh, expectant mothers ought to be walking around as much as they can. It'll move things along." So we were <laughs> we were taking every opportunity we could to uh, to walk and to visit museums. And uh, we spent what we thought was going to be just a, an hour or two walking through mu- the museum. We were there from just about the moment it opened until the voice over the PA system said, all right, 15-minute warning, and then you're out of here, as the sun was setting. While in there, I, I learned a little bit about Martin Luther King Sr. Uh, Daddy King was his nickname. Daddy King also ended up being the title of his autobiography. Uh, Just after 1 o'clock, I'm going to spend a bit of time walking through some of the things that I learned about the life of Martin Luther King Sr., Dr. King Jr.'s father. Uh, Absolutely fascinating, inspiring, and ultimately heartbreaking. Did, Did you know, of course we know that he outlived his son, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., uh, but did you also know uh, that he outlived uh, another son who only a year after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, would would drown in his home swimming pool? An unfortunate accident. <clears throat> but Daddy King, as he was called, uh, lost in just over a year's time uh, two of his three children, his two sons. And then, while you may have known about that unfortunate loss sustained by Reverend King Sr., you may not have known that about six years later, in 1974, 
in Ebenezer Baptist Church as his wife was seated at the organ playing the Lord's Prayer in the middle of a sermon that a gunman stood up at the front of the congregation and opened fire, ultimately killing Mrs. King. Alberta Williams King was assassinated in Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm embarrassed to say that until I read the autobiography of Martin Luther King Sr., I didn't know that. I didn't know that Martin Luther King Jr.'s mother was assassinated herself not a hundred yards from where he lay buried. How did Daddy King handle that? What lessons did he take away from that? What has he or did he, rather, as his uh, life continued on after burying two of his children and his own wife, how did he speak to the rest of the world? We're going to get into that at about one twenty today, so be sure you're listening then. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable story about a man who is sometimes forgotten, as the focus of this day is on the civil rights leader, his son, Martin Luther King Jr. We'll spend plenty of time uh, looking back on the life of uh, Dr. King Jr. as well, uh, but his dad deserves some attention. We'll give it to him uh, just after 1 o'clock today on KSL News Radio. Uh, for the next few minutes, can I talk to you about the weekend? I ha- have termed it the weekend that wasn't. The weekend that wasn't. You know very well that early last week, the FBI put out alerts across the country indicating that they had intelligence showing that at every single state house, the state capitol building of every single state uh, in this nation would likely be the scene of some pretty aggressive uh, protesters. Here in Utah, the estimates uh, were anywhere between 500 and 1,500 folks. I'll give you a little bit of behind the scenes. When when there is an anticipated event like that, and I say anticipated, you know, because there was uncertainty. When there is an anticipated event like that here in the, the news business, you know, we we need to be prepared for anything. And, you know, we have different programming here on the weekends. Uh, all those wonderful shows that air here on KSL News Radio on the weekends are different from those that air uh, during the week. And uh, so it was that... As we were getting word that uh, on Utah's Capitol Hill that there may be uh, some intense activity, the preparations for that were to place almost the entire news staff on an on-call status. Right, so you you got to stay, you know, within you know an hour or so of the station this this weekend. And if the call comes, if things were to escalate at the Utah Capitol, everyone springs to action. Uh, most of the weekend I spent uh, either glued to to my phone or scrolling through Twitter or even uh, for a time visiting the state capitol myself. And let me just say how welcome it was for my phone to remain silent, for Twitter here in Utah not to be inundated with imagery of uh, violent protests and violent confrontations between the uh, members of the National Guard and the Utah Highway Patrol and, and protesters, violent protesters of any stripe. What a wonderful welcome sight it was uh, for to have put in all those preparations and for them to have been unnecessary ultimately. A wonderful, wonderful thing. And I wondered, as the day was playing out, how things were looking across the country. 
USA Today did a wonderful job of compiling a comprehensive look at how things shaped up at the state houses around the country. Again, remember that FBI warning was for the states, every all 50 of them. The FBI predicted that there may likely be uh, demonstrations all across the country. Well, guess what? Didn't come true. Didn't come true. As I scroll through all the information compiled uh, by USA Today, what they did essentially was they looked at the large news organizations in the capital cities of each of the 50 states. And as you know, people <laughs> in my situation all across the country were keeping a close eye on what was happening at their state house, uh, they'd write articles and do reports. USA Today brought them all together. And as I have scrolled through now, uh, every single state, it was uh, quiet in Washington, D.C., quiet in Alabama, quiet in Alaska, quiet uh, in Arizona, Arkansas as well. There were a few armed protesters there, but uh, the number very, very small, and they kept to themselves, uh, no arrests. California even, quiet and largely deserted, was the description of the California state capitol in the newspaper there, the Stockton Record specifically. Uh, Colorado, same story. Uh, it, the story there reading late Sunday morning into Sunday afternoon, the area surrounding the Colorado Capitol building and Denver's Civic Center Park remained calm. Now, why was that? Why, after uh, such a big warning to come from the FBI, were the grounds of nearly every state capital around the country relatively silent? You might say th- th- there, there are two ways of looking at it. One, you could say, well, the FBI just doesn't know what they're doing. The FBI uh, just has no idea, and maybe they just overreacted. I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that it was all just a big mistake. I think that with information like that, which they gather from uh, interviews, maybe they've got some undercover folks, uh, but you look at the events being posted on social media and elsewhere, uh, you can get a pretty good sense of how those out there are looking to organize themselves. And I believe there was a time where the FBI looked out at that landscape and thought, oh my, we've got a situation on our hands. So they made it known what they had observed and how did each of the states react. They reacted with strength and they mobilized themselves very quickly. Uh, newly inaugurated Governor Spencer Cox, as a matter of fact, declared a state of emergency in anticipation of what the FBI had forewarned. And that state of emergency, that executive order, uh, extends all the way till past the inauguration. So we've gotten through the weekend and across the country, you know, those who had things to say and wanted to say them forcefully, they did gather in much smaller numbers than predicted, but they did gather, they communicated. And that's great, that's the American way. And what we didn't see anywhere was anything even resembling the stomach-turning violence that transpired at the United States Capitol on January 6th. My hopes and prayers are that what we didn't see over the weekend is exactly what we don't see at this year's inauguration, both in Washington, D.C. and at the state capitals around the country. A quick break. When we return, we're going to have a look at the distribution of vaccines. How have things developed? How have things developed around this state, specifically Davis and Salt Lake counties? 
Dave Noriega joins me next to have a look at what's going on and give some details stemming from a conversation he had with the Davis County Health Department. That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.